0: Welcome to this interview from the Arctic Frontiers Conference 2013. At the conference in January, we spoke with attendees, speakers, and members of the Young Scientists Forum about their work, their hopes, and their concerns for the future of the Arctic. This series is a joint effort of the Arctic Frontiers Conference, the Geopolitics in the High North program, and the Arctic Institute. I'm Tom Fries. In this interview, I spoke with Geir Janssen. Geir is a professor in marine biology in the Department of Biology at the Norwegian University for Technology and Science in Trondheim. He's also an adjunct professor at the University Center in Svalbard. Before we begin, I'd also like to thank the band Loas for permitting us to use the music that you'll hear at the beginning and end of each podcast. Hi there, Geir, and uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with me today. I'd like to ask you to start by telling us about your current research and any plans that you've got for the near-term future.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'm trained in e- ecophysiology and I started with my master's uh, working on ice algae here in the Arctic uh, and was then working with uh, photosynthesis and, and respiration uh, to get a, a better understanding of uh, the production underneath the uh, ice sheet in, in, in the Arctic. And uh, then my, my mentor, uh, Professor Egil Saxo, at, at NTNU in Trondheim, he had one really great skill and that was to introduce me to a lot of people. So uh, he introduced me to uh, researchers in the States, especially at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in, uh, in, uh, in uh, San Diego, La Jolla in California, and uh, other researchers along the uh, b- both the east and west coast of the states. And because of that, I w- actually was trained by a lot of really good uh, researchers in, in bioptics. So uh, I then learned a lot about how you can use the spectral absorption, scattering, transmittance, uh, and fluorescence to, to track... Um, and, and elucidate uh, how phytoplankton in general uh, and ice algae uh, can uh, absorb and utilize the ambient light in, in the water column for photosynthesis and how they also react to photoprotection and stuff like that. And after that, I was actually then really lucky to be introduced to some really good environments uh, in, in Trondheim. Uh, among them, it was a, a carotenoid, Laboratory at uh, the previous Norwegian Technology High School, which is now a part of NTNU, of course, the biggest part of it. And that was Sineve Leon Jensen. And she uh, was a professor in organic chemistry, and she's still active. She she has retired, but I think she has had more than uh, 90 PhD students graduated. And her lab has actually been uh, called the Choenheim School regarding uh, uh, identification uh, of carotenoids uh, in general, both on land and in sea, and also then to to elucidate uh, the the biosynthesis of all of these carotenoids. So then blending... uh, ecophysiological training, then with the optical uh, tools uh, to get uh, tools to look at the bioptical properties in, 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 uh, in phytoplankton, and then uh, looking at the pigments that is cause of all of these absorption characteristics, and then different kinds of utilization uh, has been a good g- combo to, <laughs> to put it so, uh, short, because now I'm, I'm promiscuous regarding organisms. I'm I've been working a lot with tropical corals, with deep water corals, with crustaceans, all different kinds of organisms, uh, because of th- that they have different pigments, which then gives different uh, bioptical characteristics. So we, now we are actually then using all of this information to make, for instance, new instruments like underwater hyperspectral imagers. We are looking at spectral reflection spectra per image pixel. I mean, you can, you can identify, you can map and you can monitor any object of interest on the seafloor in the water column or in the sea surface using these techniques. So that's the short version of my happy life as a marine biologist.
0: So you've taken an interesting course to get to where you are right now with, uh, with lots of happy coincidences. What's been the most unexpected step thus far on the path you've taken?
1: Uh, That would actually be that on conferences like this, you suddenly meet people, right? And uh, often in the bar, uh, you have heard people talking and then you ask them, uh, is it possible to have a talk uh, with you because your uh, presentation was really interesting? And then uh, there have been quite a few of these experiences that you actually then are uh, uh, meeting in the bar, having a beer, and then you get some kind of this uh, really... Uh, interesting conversations. And uh, one of the most interesting for me is actually then to, to meet uh, a colleague, Fred Sigernes. Uh, he's working with uh, he's a physicist and he is working with Northern Light, with aurora Borealis Research. And uh, he had some really cool tools that he, he made. Uh, and uh, I asked if I can uh, buy a prototype of him that was a, a hyperspectral imager that they used in northern light research, but based on uh, o- of all of our talks, and uh, we have actually used this technique then in in microscopes and from airplanes. Uh, been working with remote sensing of kelp from airplanes and then actually been looking at the optical properties of microscopic organisms or seaweed from the microscope. Uh, And the cool thing there is that uh, this was a totally new technique uh, for me, but because of my background that I initially talked about, I'm pretty good to interpret the and it's very few of those. And because of this also, we have actually verified, uh, among other things, uh, ocean color data from satellites. And this little prototype, it costed about uh, $10,000 to make. So it's a cheap thing. And uh, we actually get really, really high-resolution data uh, uh, fr- from a boat, for instance, that we can use then to, to verify, for instance, the, the presence of uh, chlorophyll in the water and color dissolved organic matter, two very important products for uh, r- remote sensing of, of phytoplankton blooms. But we are used it to characterize sea ice, uh, the age of the sea ice, how much water is in the sea ice, is it new, is it old, does it have snow on top, uh, and so on and so forth. We can, of course, do the same with vegetation and, and so on. Uh, freshwater runoff from rivers, uh, do they uh, contain particles, for instance, with iron, rust? We can discriminate that between other type of minerals that, for instance, has a a big amount of clay, for instance. So it will be some kind of chemical imaging. Uh, In in the end of all of this, it's uh, where I'm now. It's actually uh, I'm thinking about everything as chemical imaging (laughs) as a result of all of this sudden incident. So this is just one example. All interesting things is happening in the bar.
0: So you're doing really fascinating work. How do you think that that work is contributing to a better future for the Arctic, whatever that uh, means to you?
1: Yeah, so so just to follow the same line, because my brain is quite unstructured. But okay. so if you then follow this line with with the, the, the hyperspectral imager, uh i'm not that religious uh, person but my religion uh, then is to take care of the environment and to take care of the environment that will mean in 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 uh, normal words uh, uh environmental uh, management A- and uh, and further on to do clever uh, re- um, uh, decision-making uh, regarding our uh, subsea environment we can actually then use this uh, type of, of, of sensors like the, the underwater hyperspectral imager we have now put them into underwater robots and what we can then do with them is actually then to uh, to map and monitor uh, the, env- uh, the marine environment on the sea uh, surface in the water column, and at the sea floor. So we are basically using remote sensing techniques that uh, is now currently used on satellites, but we want to do the same on the seafloor.
0: You're a good interpreter of information, which I like to think is an important skill these days. Um, as you're looking around at all the information that's out there, is there anything that's missing from the overall discussion? Anything people... Uh, should be talking about that
1: they aren't? Uh, I I think that the most difficult thing now regarding the Arctic is that it's a lot of politics. And of course, the the politicians, then need to have simple solutions to have some kind of clear take-home messages. As a scientist, we know that uh, there is different solutions and it's a lot of things we really don't know. So just one good example is um, we have this uh, global uh, warming, no doubt about that. And how will that affect different uh, groups of organisms? Uh, most people are uh, focused on the on the, the polar bear and, of course, less ice. It's a less good, good habitat for the polar bears that is primarily uh, using ringed seals as the major food source, which is also then depending on sea ice. But if you then go to the real big producers, which is then the phytoplankton and the zooplankton, and how they react on temperature, just one simple environmental stressor that is really important, then there is not that much interest. So I think, and um, then like one simple statement is like, oh, eh, eh, the polar bear can be extinct. I, I don't think so. It it will survive, but it will be less of it, which is not, of course, a good thing. Uh, <laughs> I agree on that. But what about the major food source, like, for instance, the copper pods? We know that for hundred years ago, uh, there was quite uh, a lot of little oaks, these small seabirds. On Iceland, why? Because they were eating this big fat copepod uh, k- uh, uh, called Calanus uh, hyperboreus, which is about has about twenty times more energy per individual than the rest of the copepods that we have here in in in, in uh, along the Norwegian coast or in the Arctic. So it's a big energy uh, particle. <laughs> this uh, uh, we call it is, ishavsorte in. Uh, or fate or the norwegian Calanus uh, hyperboreus. These organisms are really important and uh, we can then see from the seabirds when it's absent, right? So now the little wax are here uh, in in uh, in Svalbard, but uh, it's it's not too much of this Calanus uh, hyperboreus because it really thrives in really 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 cold waters and nowadays it's quite warm. We were actually then on this polar night expedition and uh, we didn't find that much uh, of *Calanus superboreus. It's a deep water dwelling species, but it likes around minus 1.8 degrees. And uh, now, for instance, the ice edge is about 83 degrees north, so it's nor- nor- we didn't have time during this cruise actually to reach the sea ice. I mean, <laughs> but uh, coming back, then it's like there is it, there will probably be a lot of important organisms that will. Uh, not be extinct but will have trouble Uh, there will be less of them and I think that's quite important and maybe we have described about 5% of the species that is available the rest is undescribed yet. So how can we manage uh, our resources? That when we haven't identified well, what we have, people are just interse- uh, I- interested in the commercial fish species, uh, the seals, the whales, and the polar bears, which are important, of course. But those small creatures—that is actually then the food source for the top predators. What about them? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think. Uh, it's a little bit hard as a scientist then to argue against the politicians what's important and not so this is just one example but I think a lot of the the research should be more uh, not that uh, political uh, it, it's, it's a, a lot on the political agenda what we should uh, focus on regarding science some of that is pretty good but not all of it so <laughs> free research I think it's really important, and speaking for myself, it's always when we are talking to colleagues totally freely that we have uh, got the, the most important research that can actually then be usable for system knowledge, the whole ecosystem knowledge, and then also as future tool for nature management and decision making. Mm-hmm.
0: And. Uh, I think I might be able to guess, at least in part, what your answer to this question might be. Um, What do you see as the value of Arctic frontiers and events like it?
1: I think it's uh, outmost important. It's it's splendid to have uh, politicians and then scientists and um, historians and all of this gathered together. So uh, I, I wish actually that I would have more time to, to, uh, to listen to all of these uh, parallel sessions. As a biologist, I know that I have a lot to learn about all of these political issues that is highly important. But uh, in short, Arctic frontiers has... I was here at the first one, uh, and I'm just impressed. I I really like to be here, and I think it's it's a very important event.
0: Thanks for joining us for this interview. You can hear others from this series on iTunes or via our websites, arcticfrontiers.com and thearcticinstitute.org. The music you've heard at the beginning and end of this interview is from Loess, from their album Wind and Water. You can hear more samples of their music or purchase their albums on iTunes. Just search for their name, which is spelled L-O-E-S-S.